So Matthew chapter 14, this is the story, or at least the middle of chapter 14 is the story of Jesus walking on water. You're probably very familiar with that story. That's just one of those childhood stories from scripture we hear. It's a real historical event. And you know some of the details of that. Jesus walked on water in the storm and, and Peter, one of the disciples, walked on water at least for a little bit. And when we think of that story, that really is the event of, of Matthew 14 that stands out to us. But listen, I really don't think that's the most surprising part of this event. Now, I don't want to uh, suggest that that's not an incredible thing, that that's not an amazing feat, no pun intended, uh, that Jesus walked on water. But I want you to know that that's not the most surprising thing that happened here. It's really not surprising that Jesus walked on water. If you think about it, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the son of God, if he is the creator of the universe, if all time, matter, and energy come from him, if he is the author and the manipulator of the laws of physics, it's not surprising that Jesus walked on the water. He can walk on dirt. He can walk on pavement. He can walk on water. He can walk on mayonnaise. <laughs> I mean, Jesus could, it's not surprising at all that Jesus that Jesus could walk on water. That would be like Hollywood putting out a headline that says, in the next movie, Superman picks up a stapler or Chuck Norris rips open an envelope. I mean, those would not sell a movie. Jesus walking on water, well, of course, Jesus can walk wherever he chooses to walk. But listen, there are some very amazing, surprising, stunning things that happen in this account. And I want our attention to be drawn to those this morning. So let's just read this together and you see if you can identify the three amazing, surprising things that happen between Matthew 14, 22 and Matthew 14, 33. So let's read. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, it is, while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. And Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So they're in the midst of this storm. They are rowing for their lives. And Jesus comes miraculously walking on the water. Uh, they don't recognize Jesus. They think it's a ghost. They're scared to death. They've been rowing now for hours. Verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, Peter answered, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And so climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. And so now Peter's walking on the water. That, that qualifies as surprising. Uh, verse 30, but when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, called hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got on the boat, the wind ceased. And then those in the boat worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. 
Now, before we get into the three surprising parts of this story, I want you to see the point of the story. I want you to see the climax of the event. It wasn't Jesus walking on water, as amazing as that miracle was. It wasn't Peter walking on the water. It wasn't even that the storm was stilled. What was the climax of the event right here at the end that the people, the disciples, worshiped Jesus? Now, just sort of tuck that back in your minds because we'll come back to that. The whole point of the story, the whole point of the storm, the whole point of the walking on water, all of this was for one reason, that the disciples might worship Jesus. Now, with that in mind, what are the surprising things in this story? I think there are three. Number one, it surprises me that Jesus sent the disciples into harm's way. That surprises me. Not that Jesus walked on water. Of course, Jesus can walk on water. But it surprises me that right here in verse 22, Jesus, it says, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, Jesus knew what the weather forecast was. Jesus knew the timing of the storm. He knew its severity. He knew the direction of the wind. And he knew how hard and fast the disciples could row the boat. And Jesus, now let's don't let him off the hook here. Let's notice this. Jesus purposefully sent his disciples right into the middle of the storm. Jesus put them in a position where they would experience danger and discomfort and difficulty. He put them in a position where they could not take care of themselves. They could not manage the situation. They couldn't bear the burden and they could not rescue one another. Now, isn't that surprising? Isn't that surprising? People often get in difficult situations, but often we think that those difficult situations come because they have been disobedient to God. But here the disciples find themselves in a difficult, dangerous situation, not because they have been disobedient, but exactly because they were obedient. It shocks me. Jesus sent the disciples into harm's way. Now, why does that surprise us? It surprises us because people have told me for years that God exists to make my life easier. Haven't people told you that? People have told me for years that God cares about me and that he will always keep me and his children from harm. It surprises me because people have told me that if I am a Christian, my life will be filled with ease and comfort and prosperity. People have told me that God wants me to experience my best life now. But the truth is, listen church, God has a greater purpose than your ease and your comfort and your worldly um, prosperity. Now it is true that God will answer prayer, that God blesses his children, that God heals, that God rescues. God does all of those things. But listen, even when he does that, even when he stills the storm, it's not primarily for our ease, our comfort, and for our worldly prosperity. When God even answers the prayer, it's still for the same purpose, that Jesus might be worshiped. God will accomplish his purpose in our lives 
in whatever way is best. And sometimes the best way to do that is to give us restored health. Sometimes the best way to do that is to bless us financially. Sometimes the best way to do that is to help us to get married if we're unmarried or to give us the perfect job if we're looking for a job. Sometimes that's the best way for God to accomplish his purposes. But sometimes the best way for God to accomplish his purpose is to send us into a storm. And we have to understand both sides of that. In fact, you see that right here in Matthew 14. We began reading in verse 22, but if you go back a paragraph or two, you see that Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus was with a bunch of people. They were hungry. So what did Jesus do? He performed a miracle and he fed all of these people. He accomplished his purpose by blessing them. Then in the next section, right here in this chapter, Jesus accomplishes his purpose by sending the disciples into the storm. Jesus is going to accomplish his purpose. And sometimes he does that by blessing us, and sometimes he does that by sending us into the storm. You know, I want to illustrate that by telling you something, describing something I hear all the time in our church and in my own life. And this will disturb some people, but I I want you just to hold on. I want you to listen to this. Sometimes as Christians, we talk about the provision and the blessing of God by saying things like this. I got a list of them. The Lord healed me of cancer. The Lord is so good to me. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Have you ever said that? Maybe, Maybe something like this. The Lord allowed the doctor to catch Uh, the tumor or the infection early so that uh, we could avoid some more serious uh, medical problem. And you know, it was just, the Lord was so good to me. He allowed the Lord to catch that at the perfect time. He allowed the doctor to catch that right at the perfect time. You ever said that? Or how about this? Uh, The Lord allowed me to survive a car accident. I was in a terrible car accident, somebody will say it. I could very easily have lost my life, but the Lord intervened and and, and, and somehow by the hand of God, I survived that car accident. Now, have you ever said things like that, that the Lord has shown us his kindness because in the midst of what could have been a terrible situation, the Lord inserted himself and he rescued me. We tell stories like that all the time. But now listen, when critics, when critics of Christianity hear us say things like that, they roll their eyes in disgust. Now, let me, let me tell you what they think when they hear that. When you say, I was in a terrible car accident, but the Lord, he is so good. He, he rescued me in the midst of the car accident and I didn't lose my life. You know what the, what the critic is thinking? That is absurd. If God were really that good, if he loves you that much, if he is that powerful, then why didn't God just stop the car accident to start with? That is foolish to say that I have a great God who loves me and is so powerful that he rescued me in the midst of this terrible accident and saved my life. No, no, that doesn't make sense. If God is that good, he would have just prevented the car accident to start with. Or, or, or we'll say that God, is, God has healed us of cancer or something, and, 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 and the criticals say, no, that's not an evidence of the goodness of God. No, if God were real, if God were good, if God were powerful, he wouldn't have had to have rescued you from cancer. He could have just prevented the cancer. And so we say these things that sound good to us, but I'm telling you to the critic of Christianity, they don't sound good, they sound 
ridiculous that we would say this. So who is right? Are Christians right when they point to these rescues from disaster as evidence of God's kindness and God's love? Or are the critics right when they point to these rescues that we refer to and they say that they're examples of the Lord's inability to to rescue us or his inattention or his lack of love? Who is right? Well, technically... Christians are right when we say God rescued us and he showed us his kindness. That's technically right. But but let me tell you, let me tell you a better way to understand it, a better way to say it when it comes to cancer. Let me just give you an, this is easiest to explain with an illustration. What should we say? The Lord saw fit to accomplish his purposes by allowing me to have cancer and then the Lord saw fit to accomplish his purposes by rescuing me from cancer. But may the Lord be praised either way. You understand? So the disciples could say, the Lord saw fit to accomplish his purposes by sending us into the storm. And then the Lord saw fit to accomplish its purposes by rescuing us from the storm. May the Lord be praised either way. The Lord saw fit to allow his purposes to be accomplished by allowing me to be in a car accident. And then the Lord saw fit to accomplish his purposes by rescuing me in that car accident. May the Lord be praised either way. See, it's surprising, if if we're not very discerning, it is surprising that Jesus let the disciples go into the storm. But if we just take a close look at this, we understand that God's purpose is not to give us a life of ease, but it's to accomplish his purpose, to lead us to worship him. And sometimes that means to rescue us from the same storm he allowed us uh, to go into. That surprises me and teaches me something about the Lord. Now, there's a second surprising thing here, and this one I I struggled with most this week as I prepared the message. The second surprising thing is this. Jesus let the disciples battle the storm for many, many hours. Jesus uh, just left the disciples in the storm. If you look, what is it, verse 25, uh, it says in my Bible, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. Your Bible may say in the fourth watch, the Jews divided the night into three watches. The Romans divided the night into four watches. So this was told from a Roman perspective. And the fourth watch was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now we know when we put this story together with its parallel versions in Matthew and John, not I mean Mark and John, uh, that the disciples at this point were all the way in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which was miles away from where they intended to be. So here's what we know. The disciples had been in the storm a long time. They had been fighting this storm. They had been praying, God rescue us. They had been fearing for their lives, not for 10 minutes, not for an hour, but probably for several hours, maybe for many hours. I mean, the sun's about to come up. They've been doing this all night long. Where has Jesus been in the midst of this? It seemed like Jesus was awfully late. And this isn't the first time Jesus seemed to be late In John chapter 11, Jesus had a friend who was sick and dying, and and, uh, 
his sisters thought, well, certainly Jesus will come and rescue him. And you know what? Jesus was late. And the sisters had the audacity to point that out to Jesus. In John chapter 11, verse 21, it says, Martha, one of Lazarus' sister, Lazarus was the one who died because Jesus was late. Martha said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And don't you know she must have said that with some anger in her voice. See, Jesus let the disciples battle the storm for many, many hours. What do we learn from that? Well, I, I did some digging and praying and thinking, and I, I think there are really two primary lessons we learned. First of all, what is Jesus doing while we're in the storm? Jesus is praying for us. If you look back up to verse 23, it says, After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. So the disciples are in the boat thinking that Jesus has abandoned them. Have you ever been in the storm and, and you wondered, has Jesus abandoned me? But Jesus hadn't abandoned them. Jesus was praying. Now, it doesn't say specifically in verse 23 that he was praying for him, but it tells us that in other places. Hebrews 7, 25, he is able to save completely those who come to God through, through him since he always lives to intercede or to pray for them. Uh, John 17, 20, Jesus prays uh, for us. And so know this, when you get in a storm and it seems like Jesus is late, when it seems like Jesus, he should have rescued me a year ago, know that Jesus is praying for you. Know that Jesus is praying that you would have the, the strength and the courage to learn the lessons that the character of Christ might be formed in you. Know that Jesus is doing what ought to be done. And sometimes there's something better than rescue. Sometimes what we need in the storm is, is for us to learn the lessons of God, to grow and have the strength. And Jesus is praying that those things would happen in our the second lesson I think we learn when we're uh, stranded in the storm and waiting for Jesus is that Jesus is never really late. Uh, Jesus is always on time. It may seem like he is late, uh, but Jesus was not late for the disciples in the boat, right? He rescued them. Jesus was not late for Lazarus. He rose him from the, from the grave. He resurrected uh, Lazarus when he did arrive. And Jesus will never be late. When it seems like Jesus is late, this is important, when it seems like Jesus is late in your circumstance, it's only because you and I misunderstand what his goal is. If his goal is that life would be smooth, then Jesus is late sometimes because sometimes my life isn't smooth. If Jesus' goal is that we would always be healthy, then Jesus is late because we're not always healthy. If Jesus' goal is that we might always be successful, then Jesus is late because we're not always successful. But that's not Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal is that we would learn to trust and honor him, that the character of Christ would be formed in us and that our whole lives would point to his greatness and his goodness. When we say Jesus is late, uh, what really has happened is we've, we've failed to embrace that Jesus has a different purpose. Well, very quickly, let me share with you the third surprising thing here. When Jesus finally showed up, instead of calming the storm, he just told them to have courage. Uh, you've got to look at this. It, it's, it seems so strange. They, they're, they're fighting the storm. They're, they're afraid they're going to die. Uh, they see this figure. 
uh, they're worried that it is a ghost. It turns out to be Jesus. And so what is Jesus going to do? Jesus shows up. They're still in the storm. The, the boat's still up and down. It's about to capsize. And look what Jesus does. Verse 27. Immediately. Now, it seems like this is going to be some good news, right? Immediately, Jesus is going to do something. He's going to solve the problem. But look, immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. If I would have been in the boat, I think I would have had something to say back. Jesus, I don't want courage. I want rescue. I mean, don't, don't tell me to have courage, to be brave. Don't be afraid. Make the wind stop. You know, make the boat be still. I don't want courage. I want rescue. Does that not surprise you that after the disciples had been battling the storm for hours, that Jesus would show up and instead of stilling the storm, he just says, have courage? That surprises me. What do we, what do we learn from, from that? Well, I think the key uh, is uh, the three words right in the middle of what Jesus said. Look, look at verse 27. His first sentence is have courage. His last sentence is don't be afraid. But there are three short words in between there. It is I. It is I. What Jesus was saying is, is, is guys, you, you can have courage, not because the storm has been still, but you can have courage because I'm here. I am the one who is in control. I am the one you can trust. Jesus says, have courage, not because the storm has, has ceased, but have courage because I'm here. There are three ways to look at that. First of all, you don't have to be rescued to have peace. It's a lie of Satan to think that you have to be rescued to have peace, that you have to have perfect health to have peace, that you have to have money to have peace. Uh, when we get to the college service uh, or the next service with so many college students in it in the next hour, I'll say it's, it's a lie of Satan that you have to be married, that you have to get married to have peace. No, if you can't have peace with Jesus alone, if you can't have peace without a rescue, then you will not have peace with the rescue. Peace doesn't come from circumstances. Peace comes from Jesus, which, which shows us the second thing we learned from those three words. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. This is the first lesson we learn when we become a Christian, that Jesus is enough for me to be saved. I don't have to do a whole list of things. I don't have to, I don't have to improve myself first and make myself worthy. No, Jesus is enough. Jesus' sacrifice is enough. That's the first lesson at the beginning of the Christian life. But it is also the last lesson. It is the lesson of maturity. At some point we must learn, hey, Jesus is enough. I mean, everybody wants more money and everybody wants to be healthy and everybody wants a smoother life. But when it comes down to it, it's not those things I need. I only need Jesus. It's interesting to read how people in the Bible have said that. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, the prophet in the Old Testament said it like this, the Lord is my portion. Everybody was talking about, well, this is what I want, and this is what I want, and this is what I want. And Jeremiah said, you know what? All I need is the Lord. Jesus said it like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek the things of God, and all these other things will take care of themselves. George Beverly Shea, uh, for the older half of the church, uh, said it this way. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. You know that song? If you're not in the older half of the church, Jordan Coughlin said it in his song this way, 
Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. We have to learn the lesson, Jesus is enough. And then the final lesson, and I don't have time to, to focus on this, but faith is the key. And we'll pick that back up in the next few weeks, but faith was uh, the key, the key. Now, there, there's so many more things we could talk about in this, in this account. Uh, this speaks to the name it, claim it theology that's often preached today. I, I would really like to spend some time talking to you about why Jesus criticized Peter's faith. Um, but let's focus, let's focus where we've already focused. The goal, Jesus' goal for the disciples, what was he trying to accomplish? Not that they would have a smooth ride, a carefree day, or a quick rescue from trouble. His goal was that they might find a way to worship Jesus. And God's goal with whatever you're going through is exactly the same. That you might find a way, a new way, a better way to worship Jesus. I read a quote that is attributed to Winston Churchill, although some people say wrongly attributed to him, uh, but it's the quote that matters. Never waste a crisis. You ever heard that? Never waste a crisis. If a crisis comes in your life, there's always something you can learn. There's always some way you can grow or be strengthened. Never waste a crisis. Now listen, Jesus would say it differently. He would say, never waste a storm. Because when a storm comes in your life, it is an opportunity for us to learn to worship Jesus anew and afresh. Never waste a storm. If you're going through a storm right now, this is your chance. This is a God-given opportunity for you to worship God afresh.